Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning into this edition of Stand Up for the Truth. We are excited to have kind of like a part two of a podcast we did last week with Pastor Chris Quintana, Pastor Elijah Abraham, and uh, they spoke at the Prophecy Conference. We'll talk a little bit about that, but a lot of serious issues today, COVID-19, the split in the church, um, what's happening in our country, also the Israel peace plan. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, Lord God, please uh, continue to give us wisdom, Lord, to understand the times and to be able to uh, discern what's happening in the church, in our country, in our culture, and help us always look from that biblical perspective, Lord, and help us to be able to encourage others to do the same. We've gotten so far away from biblical Christianity in so many ways, Lord. Uh, Work on our own hearts individually first. Uh, Show us where we need to change, where we need to repent. And then, Lord, just lead us in how we can continue to speak the truth in love and be bold for the name of Jesus. And uh, we lift this hour up to you. We thank you that we have the freedom, the religious freedom and the free speech in this country. We are so blessed with the Constitution that we have. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Chris and Elijah, welcome back. Thank you for having us. It's almost like we didn't leave. I know it. Thank you. All right, let's start right off with COVID-19 because we didn't get to it much uh, last week, um, Chris, let's start with you. You're in, you were in California. You know how the government operates out there. You probably know many of the churches that are being affected by some of the lockdowns and some of these restrictions, some of the lawsuits now. To you, to many of us, but since you lived out there and you were at a church, pastoring a church, you're not surprised by what's happening. But can you give us your thoughts on wherever you want to go with this overall, how we as a church handled the COVID-19 lockdown, how quickly we gave in, and then how long it took for some. There are churches that aren't even meeting yet, and we're in September. So your thoughts and wherever you want to go with this. Important uh, topic, and, and really what you ultimately take away from it is it shows the different states. And so it tells you much more about the state governments than it does about anything else. Yes, Because that's a big topic of discussion going into the election is about how the uh, the federal government handled covid uh, I do find it ironic that, you know, all the likely suspects are talking about how horribly we handled it from the federal side of things. Those same people were saying that we overreacted and they were criticizing Trump in the early days of this. Now they're looking back and saying he didn't do enough. And so you have the same people that keep calling him a fascist, but he was leaving it up to the states to handle this. Exactly. A fascist government would have said, you're going to do what we say, yep. but states' rights wouldn't allow it. So it's it's really kind of hard to um, to talk about how the church handled it, unless you're going to talk about it state by state, because there are some states in the in the country that didn't shut down at all, and churches were not affected whatsoever, and that's more reflective of the government of the states that are elected by the people. So it tells you about those places. California, having escaped that dumpster fire, myself personally, I can tell you that what's going on with the churches there is exactly what I would have expected. And that is that the lockdowns would have happened. 
They would have been, you know, forcefully, you know, threatened. If you don't do this, you're gonna, we're gonna come down on you. But that's because they've elected that type of overarching, yeah. you know, heavy-handed kind of a government. There are a number of churches that finally said enough is enough, and then uh, at Pentecost, which was on a Sunday morning at the end of March, they said we're going to start meeting. Let them come and do something about it, and. Uh, the one that they wanted to make the example out of was John MacArthur because he's a very recognizable public figure, national figure. He's been on CNN and all that stuff for years and years and years, giving the the church's view of any variety of things. So they wanted to make an issue of him. And so that's why we've seen him. But he's just one of many. And for the most part, he was kind of a little bit later to the party than some, uh, because there were some churches that just defiantly said, we're going to meet. You can't do this. Um, we do know that that uh, various states, and you know, people can get upset at me for for saying it in, in the political sense, but the deeper the blue state, and the deeper blue the the jurisdictions and the local jurisdictions, the more kind of draconian the way that they're handling lockdowns, and the churches are the easiest target mm. because the churches have been you know kind of weakened so much that they're easily manipulated, and that's what we're seeing in various places around the country. Um, even in some states, you'll notice that some localities are much more rigid than other parts in the very same states. So it, the, the political climate of wherever you are at any particular time is going to dictate how the church is going to have to be addressing COVID. Well, the underlying thought I had when you're explaining this, and this is just California you're mainly uh, referring to, elections have consequences. And some of these governors and mayors, they know, I don't know why it is, because they think that Christians won't push back, but... MacArthur, by the way, uh, several years ago, he had a kind of a different view of Romans 13, maybe not his understanding of it, but his application. And now he's kind of saying, wait a minute, we're not going to stay shut down. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, 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 it comes down to the, you hear the word thrown around all the time, existential threats. Uh, and it sounds like some high-minded thing. Just look at the word, existential, like your existence so he's finally come to the point of realizing the government has come to the point where they're so openly and overtly hostile towards the church, mm-hmm. it poses a threat to our very existence. Yes. So now is the time that, like with Peter, when he was brought up in front of the Sanhedrin, just said, look, God told us to do this. You're telling us to do that. Who do you think we should should follow? Yep. The church is finally getting to that place. But again, because we live in a type of a, of a government where the government can say, oh, really? And then make your your day to day existence so so difficult that it could even lead to the the you know disillusionment of your church because it can't pay the bills, and that's what we're starting to we're seeing a number of churches really struggling to try to keep the doors open. Right, they still got to pay their rent and they still got to pay their light bills and all that stuff, but people are just not. Some churches are being very well supported. Yes. Other churches are not. Mm. That says a lot about the congregations and the preparation of the congregations for just this kind of contingency. And, you know, there's a whole, that's a whole nother segment. Well, we can continue talking about this. Elijah, what are your thoughts on what he just said? I kind of hear, I think this is a time God is using to separate the sheep from the goats in a way in, in our churches. What are your thoughts on that? Plus the lockdowns and how different states are handling it. Well, uh, I totally agree with Chris. And every time when he was a pastor in uh, California and he invites me to come and speak, and I've been working on him for a number of years to move to Texas. <laughs> so, <laughs> you got because, him. 
Because bless his heart, I remember driving with him and he's going through the traffic, whatever. He just pours his heart out as far as how bad it's getting and is making it so difficult for a pastor to pastor a church and how it, uh, difficult to have a church, how difficult it is to have Christian school in the church mm. with all the legislations and so on. They have to revamp all their constitution and bylaws. They have to stop even performing weddings. All of that wow. he has to do. So um, at least now we start seeing some, uh, praise God for them, finally they're waking up, like he said, they're late to the party, but at least some of them are, but the majority of churches are still submitting to this. For me, when people ask me, what do you think of our, as a church, uh, the Church of the Living God, I'm not talking about denomination, I'm not talking about the local church here and there in this address. How do you? Th- what? What? What's your opinion? Oh, no, I have a lot of opinions about a lot of things. <laughs> really? But what's your? Yeah. Now you find out. <laughs> uh, what's your opinion about uh, how the church is dealing with this? For me, it's really I'm a simple-minded guy, and I look at church history. Mm-hmm. I say, you know what? We have about two thousand years of proven record for the body of Christ to go through pandemics, epidemics, plagues, civil wars, nation rise against nation, empires rise and fall. And the church of the living God still here. Yep. But all of a sudden, just because it's been now we have technology and now we say, oh, look, we got this virus, it's, which is another cold, you know, a, a certain strain of the cold strain. or flu. Yeah. Um, uh, now it's going to kill millions and millions. And all of a sudden the church says, whoops, okay, we can, because we have to, okay. Initially in the beginning, yeah, we want to do the right thing. We want to, co- you know, cooperate. But the moment which we find out earlier in the game, uh, and it is a game, uh, it's a very deliberate attack as far as I'm concerned from all aspects uh, of those who hate the church, hate the, uh, America, hate the uh, liberties. Earlier on, when the church found out that the government lied to us, that's when the pastors just said, okay, I'm done. We're opening full service. Forget mask, forget this, forget that. Because all of the discussion, you got one day Fauci says, no, mask is not going to do anything. Next thing you know, no, you have to have a way mask. One day says social distance is not going to make any difference. And then you have to have that. Yeah. Oh, even open air with the sun, which is vitamin D, will kill anything. And you have to wear a mask because it's nonsense. So the fear has creeped into the church we are not people of fear but it has been allowed and it has been allowed i hate to say this and i hate to point fingers it's just by our own church leadership who have been groomed in the last 40 years in some very liberal seminaries and bible college and liberal theology where they are not standing firm on biblical solid foundation. So therefore, when you have a pastor who really does not have a good worldview, global worldview, whether it be social, political, economic, and spiritual, all he talks about, okay, the gospel is spiritual, but he ignores everything else, then of course he's going to react this way. And if he reacts this way, guess what? The sheep will follow. Yeah. And I think uh, right now, what frustrates me that even with all the false information, even with the false numbers, which I know Chris wants to talk about that, with all of this being out, you can look at it online. Look, I am not that uh, prophet or son of prophet or even, uh, I look in the information in front of me 
I analyze it and I said, okay, there is something wrong with this picture. And, and now the pastors need to stand up, have a backbone and say, enough is enough. Yeah. We need to worship the Lord Jesus. God is the creator of heaven and earth and everything between. He can handle any virus. And if we die as born again believer, Lord Jesus, I'm going to see you sooner than later. But you know what? It's not like I have a death wish. What I'm saying is, there is time for concern, but there is time for uh, standing up to see that we have been lied to. And that really yeah. frustrated to me. You might have noticed in my voice, yes. I am very frustrated with how the church is uh, dealing with this. Still. God bless the biblical church is standing firm, but the rest of the church needs to wise up, repent, and do what God called them to do. In addition to what... You said, Elijah, about the misinformation and then the conflicting reports from the so-called experts and the doctors, which we got from the beginning. Then it became a political issue. But we also are looking at this blatant double standard of how some were treated and some when it comes to peacefully protesting. And I put those words in quotes. So now churches just need to gather and just say, hey, we're peacefully protesting sin. And the world. We're having church. Yeah. The church needs to be the church. Chris, your thoughts? Sure. What Elijah shared, or COVID numbers, or all the above. Well, think about it. Everything that we're just right now discussing is really right here and now. It's this stuff that's in the world. But I think what we probably ought to also at the same time realize that this is really setting the table for what comes future. So what I mean by that very simply is this. It's a trial that, run. Sure, absolutely. This is, this is really— well, For globalism? If, or conditioning for people to accept whatever remedy is offered for whatever horrible thing is about to happen. Mm. So this has proven that you can get people to do things that are are so counterproductive to society as a whole and all because of fear and telling them something that's, you know, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. Um, for something that, that has a very low uh, a mortality rate, and it is so incredibly targeted. We haven't seen a virus that's this selective that ever in my lifetime that I can think of. What do you mean selective? Because it goes after the people who are infirm. It goes after the elderly, the people right. who are compromised right. in, in the immune system. So it really, it's just one of those kind of things. You just go, man, you're not being told that. But what we're able to see, we have not only hamstrung our country, we've hamstrung the entire world economy yep. over yeah. this. And compared to other things that happen. I mean, they should be able to make justification for doing this every flu season if they're going to do it, <laughs> yeah. you know, because of virus. But here's what I, I find very interesting. And of course, I think of this in prophetic terms. Is there any way that we can look at this and say, prophetically, this really does seem like a, a very good run up to something. And I want to share, if I could, sure. um, I am one who takes a literal view of the book of Revelation. I believe that there are things, as Jesus says to John, write about the things that were, the things that are, and what is to come. So the book can be understood in the way that it's rolled out based upon that. Now, when we look at the, the seals that are open, by the end of the fourth seal, if we take a literal view of the, of the book itself, and let's just round figures say that there's 8 billion people on the planet, 2 billion are dead by the end of the fourth seal. What do you think people would do if that was to roll out tomorrow and in a short amount of time, 2 billion people are dead on the planet? Do you think what we've watched with COVID, would they take, I don't care what you're saying, if you just make it go away, I'll do it. Yep. So you're seeing a programming, I think, without question. Here's something to, I'll let people, you know, read it for themselves. They can pick up their Bibles. But in, in Luke chapter 21 at verse 25, 
Clearly, this is speaking about during the tribulation because it talks about the signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars. So that's clearly we're talking about well into the tribulation. But it mentions that on earth there are distresses of the nations with perplexity. This is the, the parallels to this is, is Mark and Matthew talk about Jesus's Olivet Discourse. This is the Olivet Discourse from Luke's perspective. Right. Mark and Matthew do not give you this information. It is only Luke that tells you that Jesus says distresses with perplexities. Very quick and dirty, you know, explanation because of time. The distresses is like your, your shoulder to shoulder pressed in like this, and there's nowhere to move. The, the perplexity is that, and we have no solutions whatsoever. Wow. We don't know how to fix this. So if that's happening during the tribulation, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. People have to get to that place where they've been conditioned right. to operate by fear, make the problem so bad that you'll do anything to wow. fix it, no matter what the solution is. So it's just interesting wording that you see here. And when I see these kind of things that inexplicably people are willing to do whatever they're told, right. no matter how counterproductive it is, it reminds me of what we see will be happening future. Right. We've talked about the uh, very real uh, virus, and it is a new strain. Uh, it's not uh, a death threat to everyone, every human being in, in every place in the country. But we've talked about the economic factors, not in detail, but we've done that on this podcast before. But one thing we don't talk a lot about are the mental health factors, the the suicide rates, calls to suicide hotlines and other helplines have skyrocketed. One figure I heard is like 600% increase in um, calls to helplines, but don't quote me on that, but they're just phenomenal. Um, And it's to be expected now at this point. So what do we do? There's so much damage that has been done, Elijah. We just have three minutes in this segment, but just your thought on the mental health factors and how we're, we're really, really suffering in that's why many ways. So, that's why it's so important for uh, preachers to uh, teach the Bible uh, and train the people to rely on the Scripture, relying on the promises of the Scripture, relying on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, relying on prayer, um, because the unbelieving world, they have no hope. Where do they go? Drugs, alcohol, yeah. suicide. Okay, because they cannot make sense of what's happening for the believers. Like what Chris was shown is telling us what are the signs It's telling us what the uh, culture or the world is going to look like. So for us, we do have hope. We we have in Christ um, the promises that he has given us and he gave us some kind of blueprint not necessarily all the details of COVID is not shown in the scripture, but he gave us the environment, what it's going to look like. So for us to look at it from a biblical point of view, that's where the church, that's where the church needs to really be the light of the world in such time. People who have no hope about to commit suicide, whatever, that's where somebody with a biblical worldview come alongside and say, wait a minute, there is another option. There is hope. There is a plan. Let's look at it from a biblical point of view, from a different point of view. Oh, so much more to talk about on this issue. I do want to talk about how churches seem to be divided from within now, whether it's a mask mandates, how we handled COVID, getting back to how we do service now. Do we wear gloves? Do we pass out communion elements? Do we not do communion? So many things. 
It's just unbelievable, but we need to get back to being the church uh, and, and the, ministering. And you got the government legislating all of this. Yes. Okay. How to, uh, how to do church. How to sing, how to pass the plates, how to do this. That's not of their business. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that I think the pastors and church leaders and elders need to really stand firm. Uh, church, this is not your business. This is off limit. But we have allowed the church to dictate, uh, the government dictate what the church should look like yeah. since the 50s with the 501c3 that has made the church, um, I hate to say the word, it's like more or less submissive to what the government should tell them or the IRS. Mm -hmm. And I always say this, you heard me say this a number of times. Since when, or let's put it this way. How come the Church of the Living God survived for 1950 years without the IRS? How come now you want to plant a church immediately? The first thing you need to do, you need to be a nonprofit. So let me send an application to the IRS for a heathen institutions such as IRS to tell God's people how to function as a church. Can you give me book, chapter, and verse on <laughs> nonprofits, please? <laughs> right. All right, we've got to cut uh, this segment off. We have so much more to talk about with Elijah Abraham and Chris Quintana when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Welcome back. We've got Elijah Abraham and Chris Quintana in studio, picking it up kind of from where we left off last week. And uh, we're talking about COVID-19 and all of the residual effects spiritually, mentally, emotionally, financially. A lot of people have lost their jobs. You mentioned before we got back on the air, Chris, about the collateral damage that we're seeing. Would you want to expound on that a little bit? Sure. Um, when you use the term collateral damage, you think warfare. And mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's any real dispute here that we're talking about there's a war for the, the mind of people and how we're going to deal with the things going forward. This, this really does hit the reset button on how we will go forward from this time on any time that there's some public health issue. Yep. We've reset this. So with that mm -hmm. being said, if we think of it in terms of like war, collateral damage is what happens, well, the civilians that died because you were bombing the bad guys, okay? You have very much that same thing societally. Mm -hmm. So people yes. were told you have to stay indoors, okay? Well, we know that sunlight's good for, for the immune system, we know that being sedentary is bad, eating a lot of junk food because you're just sitting on your couch, bad. You can just go down the line yes. of all the different things that happen. So the isolation, the depression, all of the mental illness that came along with it, basically to the powers that be, that's just collateral damage. Or as they would say, hey, if you're going to make an omelet, you're going to have to break some, you know, you're going to break some shells. So in order for them to justify it, they're going to have to say there have to be acceptable losses for the, the well-being of the society as a whole. That's yeah. their justification. One last thing on that, I do believe that it is an eschatological matter. It's an end times kind of matter because mm -hmm. it's a conditioning kind of a thing. So the last little bit on that, we need to recognize the, the people who are the drivers of this. And I don't care how far you want to go up the food chain of the elite in this world. They are still just puppets on a string, and they're doing what they're told to do, and they don't even know who's pulling their strings. Mm. So this is a spiritual matter yep. because what it's doing is setting the stage for what will happen, I believe, in an end-time scenario. And I don't think we even know the half of it, but we can just see the little bits and pieces being put in That's place. Right. I um, I look at some of this, some of the actions of uh, governors and mayors, and it's almost demonic. Right. I think about what Cuomo did in New York City, right. and he takes no response. There's no accountability. 
right. for him. He's blaming it on Trump right yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> how, how many thousand, I think it was, I don't want to misquote it, something like six or 7,000 deaths just in nursing homes. In fact, I think it may be 10,000 in New York. It's not his fault, but he put COVID-positive patients into nursing homes. Right. Who does that? Well, New York, New York and New Jersey, yeah. Um, but Elijah, when we were at the pastor's conference a few weeks ago in Texas, we were in Dallas, that first night you got a text of yeah. some information that came out from the CDC. I shared it on my Facebook on September 1st, and I said, wow, new CDC report says 94% of COVID deaths had underlying conditions. Only 6% died from COVID alone. The CDC has issued a new report detailing how many COVID-19 deaths in America also involved underlying health conditions. And I put that up. Now I go back. This is a, what? A little more than two weeks later. I put go back to this photo on my Facebook, brought it up here. I'm looking at it. It says false information checked by independent fact checkers. And I'm thinking, well, this was from the CDC. CDC website. Yep. It's got an option. See why. And then they've got PolitiFact, and it says, here's why. And this is what, why it's become politicized, which is just amazing to me. And the media is complicit on this. It says, false claim shared by President Trump right. that only 6% of CDC-reported deaths are from COVID-19. It's based on flawed reasoning. And this is astounding. He, he did not talk about it right away. He talked about it after it became public. Yep. So it's not like it's spread by him. And this is from the CDC website, the, wow. the link that I sent you, if you remember that. So, but it was such a minute link that even the CDC did not make a big hurrah, like, hey, guys. Uh, We've we adjusted got, the numbers. We adjusted the numbers. <laughs> There's really not a whole lot to worry about. Uh, this is just another flu strain. So let's go back to business. No, they did not do that. Why? This is what concerns me. In America, one of the wonderful things that I love when I came to America, that I can trust the experts, especially the medical experts. Yes. But now if I don't trust the medical experts, who do I believe? Mm. Then it comes down to whoever have the more money, more power, more media to manipulate the minds, like what we were talking about earlier, what Chris is saying, he manipulate the population, it's all fear-driven, and it is really demonic. Uh, Satan, is he knows his time is short, and uh, he wants to take as many people with him as possible to the lake of fire. And that's why the church, this is our time to shine. And we are being lulled to sleep. Yeah. And that's mm. where, where God's people need to say enough is enough. The scripture is on our side. God is on our side. If God is for us, who's against us, we need to continue to preach the gospel. We need yeah. to be the hope for those who want to commit suicide or going to drugs or alcohol, we need to come, come alongside of them and say, there is an option, it, there is hope. We've made this point before uh, that at a time in our country when people were maybe the most anxious, concerned, maybe hopeless, maybe concerned about this viral threat, churches were closed. Right. Where do you go for hope, right. especially if you're a non-believer? Like yeah. you said, alcohol, drugs. They look at it as non-essential, but gambling non-essential. is essential. Oh, boy. Or uh, go and get uh, marijuana in Oklahoma or ca- California or Colorado. That's essential. Abortion businesses. Abortion businesses. Essential. Oh, uh, how about rioting and close proximity? Uh, that's yeah. essential. 
So it's a lot of nonsense. Yeah. And I think church leaders, and I keep saying church leaders, I keep saying pastors, because they are the shepherds. The Lord has appointed these under-shepherds to protect his flock by teaching and preaching the word of God. Yeah. When they are failing, they, though you got the wolves coming after the sheep. And God is going to hold these pastors accountable. And woe to them who are not preaching the gospel according to the scripture. Yes. Chris, I want to go to you now because we are to be preaching the full counsel of God. And as Elijah mentioned last week in the podcast about teaching through verse by verse and not just topical, not just talking about the idea, mm -hmm. concept of faith. Sure. But also, I think we need to be discerning, like the men of Issachar had understanding of the times and what to do about what was going on. A lot of churches, when they do get together, maybe they're going through the Word, they stay in the Word, but they don't address what's happening. They're like, they've got their blinders on. They don't address what's happening in our culture, our country, quote, political issues. Prophetically, they're not talking about prophe no, prophecies. No, Chris, no. your thoughts on that? Well, I I know you have a lot. <laughs> There's a, here, this just shows my cynical side of things. When I heard that uh, that you know churches were shutting down, I thought to myself that might not be a bad thing um, because I think a lot of churches are just simply community centers. They go, yep. That's where people go to hang out. Uh, if you bring your Bible at all, it's an accessory, yep. and you don't spend any time growing and learning and understanding what the Word has to say. Mm. Everything is just, it's all me-centered. Listen to the worship music, and half the time it's really more extolling and exalting the person sitting in the pew rather than the God who you're supposed to be there assembled to speak about. So the idea that that happened, okay, well, churches were shut down. I know many churches that if the, if the building were to burn down, they would just say, where do we meet next week? So it's not about the, the four walls. Uh, but, you know, that's not even a discussion that we have anymore. I, I think that the the church has absolutely lost its salt. Mm. It's, it's I believe, as Jesus had said, it's to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men because it's just not doing what it was put here to do, and yep. that is to rightly divide the word of truth, as Paul would have said to Timothy. Mm. So when when we consider what's happened in the church today— I'm not as ne I'm not necessarily troubled that a whole bunch of churches can't meet. Mm. I'm troubled if there are genuine believers and and pastors and leadership that are careful to minister through the scriptures if for some reason they through fear are not reaching their people. Right. That's what I would have right. concern about. Right. But the big mega church that never gets around to to ministering the fullness of what is in the scriptures, if that place never opens, Amen. count that as a as a bonus. Right. I like that perspective, actually, because of the unhealthy, lukewarm state of the mm -hmm. American church. I think of Laodicea in Revelation 3. Yeah. Let's do this really quick because sure. we should make mention of this. If you think about that, there's a church on every corner in just about every city in every state in this nation. But Jesus said narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. It right. leads to righteousness. So that seems like we have a contradiction here. What that tells you, and again, I know that not everybody shares my eschatology, I believe in the rapture of a church, and I believe it happens before the tribulation. I say this often, and I know it a lot of times makes people's eyebrows raise. I believe that the rapture happened right now, that tr most of the churches in America would be open Sunday morning like nothing happened. Yep, yep. I believe that. Yep. I, and that's I not just said to be incendiary and you know, make people freaked out and get them I mad agree. and you know, get them into a fight. I mean, I genuinely believe that. Mm. Because I think that the church has absolutely lost its its saltiness, its savor. It doesn't do what it was put here. It was designed by the Lord to do. 
We know individuals can be redeemed, individuals can be saved, individuals mm-hmm. can repent. We also understand the concept that's placed up with the American flag, Second Chronicles uh, 7.14, is it? Um, it was applied to Israel at the time, but a lot of people try to put the American flag on it. If my people are called by my name. You guys are both giving me the eyeball. Elijah, do you want to talk about it? <laughs> Because, I mean, this is something that it's, it's this idea of American Christianity. And, uh, well, I understand the concept is about repentance and turning from your wicked ways. God says he will heal the land. Is that a principle that could possibly be applied yet in America with the state of the country and the church today? Well, I have bad news for the listeners. <laughs> I'm sorry to bring some bad news. America is not in the book of Revelation. America will be swept away with the global one world government led by the Antichrist. So for the Christians, see, that's the issue. Since 9-11, I have been in, I've been in 30 states. I've been in so many deno- denominational churches mm. and non-denominational churches. And it's interesting. It has been so difficult for pastors to open the door for me to come alongside of him to educate his flock for not to be deceived by the Islamic agenda when mm-hmm. they get to college or school or whatever. And the question is why? And it's interesting. I've, I've, I've spoken to uh, political groups such as Republican clubs, uh, uh, conservative PACs, uh, Eagle Forum, uh, Tea Parties. And, if, and, of course, there are believers in there. There are some pastors in there and so on. Now, if I tell them, if you know your pastor, talk to your pastor. For me to explain to that, to the congregation, how Islam is here to take your freedoms away, how to undermine the Constitution of the United States, how to change America to a Muslim nation. Guess what? I'm getting a lot of invitations that way. However, if I say, invite me so I could equip your people to reach Muslims for Christ, crickets. So what does that communicate to me? It communicates to me, like the church that we're talking about, uh, again, please, listeners, don't look, listen to us here. We are judging the church as far, mm-hmm. because it's not my church, it's God's church. The bri- and the we are not talking about the remnant, the biblical church. We're mm-hmm. talking about the, the major American Christianity yes. churches, okay? Yes. So what does that communicate to me? These churches... They are Americans first, Christians second. That's good. Okay, so therefore, if I come and tell them that the Constitution is uh, as a, at a threat, oh yeah, come and tell us about it. So guess what? Let's have Elijah to be our infomercial. But if I tell him here, <laughs> invites me so I could spend 12 teaching hours equipping your people how to do apologetics and Muslim evangelism because God loves Muslims. He brought them to your community and he wants you to be the light of salt in their, in their path. I'm telling you, I could count and I only have two hands. <laughs> <laughs> I could count with two hands how many churches really intentionally says, come and teach us because we got Muslims in our neighborhood. We want to reach them. The rest of them, so that, what does that mean? I have to go through so many churches to find that church for me to equip. Hmm. So that's why I would say about 10, 12 years ago, my, uh, the message that the Lord has given me has changed in America. It's no longer about equipping the church. Yeah, if I come across a church, for them, they want to be equipped, I'll be glad to equip them. But the, tr- my, the message in our ministry in America is really for call to repentance. Get out of American Christianity. Let's go back to biblical Christianity. And our ministry internationally is all about equipping. Yep. Okay. So that's really what changed here. Um, and I think that's, that's what we really, why we're here 
talking about these issues. Yeah. And I truly believe, like you said, Chris, that if the rapture happened today, mm-hmm. many, many churches will be open next Sunday. Why? Because they never talk about the rapture. They never talk about tribulation. They never study the book of Revelation. I, I know you come across a, a lot of Christians, too. They say, oh, I never read the uh, book of Revelation. Well, why? It's too scary. I said, well, if you're a born-again believer, it does not apply to you. It's scary for the unbelievers and for Israel to repent, and God's going to bring them, but it's not applied to you. There's a lot we can learn, though, about what there is to come and what's still going to happen. But when I read the book of Revelation, man, it gets me excited. actually gets me even more motivated to preach the gospel because I don't want them to go through that. Yes. I don't want the unbeliever to go through tribulation and then end up in lake of fire, be thrown in the lake of fire. So... The church is going to open after the rapture? Absolutely. And they're going to submit to total obedience to the one world government mm-hmm. and one world religion, by the way. Sure. Chris, your thoughts? Boy, the, the, uh, the passage in Chronicles f- really frustrates me. And there was a time when I used to, I used to, I fell into that silly trap. But it, it, again, it shows how important it is that we understand just biblical principle of Bible study. So we'll do this really quick. I know that we're coming up on a break. But if, if you look at the passage in Second Chronicles, of course, any approach that you take to Scripture is to ask a few questions. Who's the audience? What's the, what's the context? All that stuff. Okay. Context. Dedication of the temple is what's taking place. This is Solomon after he's built the temple and it's at the dedication. He's made a number of things. God, if we will follow you, will you be here? Will you do your part if we do our part? And there's this back and forth that takes place between the Lord and Solomon. Great. God says at the close of that whole dialogue, if my people, so God's only had one covenant people, and it's Israel. If my people, because they've fallen into their sin, if they will repent, turn from their wicked ways, if they'll pray and they'll seek my face, then I will hear. Great. So that's a covenant people. Somebody, if they're going to try to make this about America, has got to show me where George Washington was in covenant with God or God made a covenant with George Washington. Until they can show me that that took place, we are not his people. Now, if we want to say the church, well, the church is not America because the church is an an anomaly. Mm. The genuine church of Jesus Christ is an anomaly statistically in the United States of America. What do you explain that, please? means that there's very few. There are a lot of people that are churchy, a lot of people who are Christians— but that doesn't mean that they are genuine, born-again, regenerated yes. by the Spirit of the living God believers. So that is, you know, we've got to make sure that we are talking apples and oranges yeah. here. So it's, it's very important for us to come to that and say, but would God accept repentance? Absolutely. But salvation is individual, as you had said, because God did not make a covenant with the United States of America. Now, has, have we accumulated an enormous amount of, of sin and, and uh, you know, retribution that really should come against us because of our rejection of him? Mm. We had great foundation. Gosh, let's be honest. We had yeah. enormous—has God ever prospered a nation kind of like what he has done with this because we honored him at the beginning? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we've put him on the outside looking in and said, you're no longer welcomed right. here. That's where we've gone in that time. But the nation's not going to repent because, it's, again, it's not a covenant with God yeah. nation. So we got to make sure we understand biblical truth. When, I, when you said that, I thought of it's not just the nation that has set God aside, but the church. And I thought about Jesus in Revelation 3.20, standing outside, knocking yep. on the door of the church, saying he wants to come in and have right. fellowship. And he's knocking on the door of the church of believers. So it's not just the country as a whole that has abandoned God. The church needs to really understand the times and get back. Yes. Um, I think we've just got a minute 
So when we come back, I want to ask you both about a little bit about your presentations last or weekend at the Prophecy Conference in Appleton. And also, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, critical race theory. We touched on that last week in Black Lives Matter, but uh, this is not going away. It's in our universities. It's in some public schools. It was in our government until Trump said, no, 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 no more funding for this. So what is critical race theory? We have to talk about that. Plus Israel, you just talked about Israel and, and God's chosen people. But what about this peace plan? What about this peace treaty? Chris and Elijah, when we come back, a whole lot more on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Welcome back. We're going to kick off with some scripture and talk about peace and the nation of Israel. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 2, it says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, there is peace and security. Another translation, I believe, says safety. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Chris Quintana, you were speaking at the uh, Prophecy Conference about the peace plan and about Israel, and I would love for you to share a little bit about what you have gleaned from that and what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, when you look at the context of this, it's going to be kind of a worldwide thing because the tribulation is for the entirety of the world, not just Israel. But we do know that everything culminates there in Israel. That really becomes the epicenter. That's the focus of the place or of the events, rather, that place is so pivotal to it. So when you hear peace being spoken of and, and Israel's at the, at, in the middle of it, it does make you kind of perk up your ears. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's really as a totally off-the-topic thing, but with, with Thessalonians, even what we're talking about is focusing on the end times and how often we will hear churches downplay the idea of the end times. Look at how chapter 5 begins. He says, now concerning the day of the Lord, you have no need that I would teach you of these things because you know them perfectly, right? right? This is a church he spent a month with. Right. And he mm-hmm. writes this letter to them a year later. So they knew that amount of eschatology, that they knew the day of the Lord inside and out, and he only had a month with them, and they're a year old in their walk as far as a founded church, and we're not supposed to talk about end times? Right. Wow. Paul never got the memo, apparently. So kind of an interesting little thing, but... When we start to think about peace, here we've everybody's been so focused on COVID that um, the peace plan that the Trump administration put out uh, came out and it was in, in print for people to be able to look at in January, and then COVID hits. And so, what for the last you know nine months, eight nine months, we've been so focused on that we don't even realize they've been working behind the scenes on this. Mm. So then the UAE comes out and says we're going to normalize trade relations with Israel and we're going to recognize them. If you read this peace plan, that is precisely what they intended to do. There, the the approach to this peace plan is so different than anything that's ever been proposed before. All that you can do is take a look at it and say. Since it came from the Trump administration, no wonder it looks like a business proposal. That's precisely what it is. It's intended to bypass the same people who have been the problem all along. 
So it bypasses the, the Palestinian Authority, what was the PLO, and it identifies them as terrorist organizations just without any equivocation. It comes straight out and said they are terrorists and they've ruined everything that they've touched. They have no problems saying that. So the, the underlying, the implication of that is that's why we're going to bypass them. We don't need their permission to do what we're doing. That's why we're going to go to the other people who want to have normalized relationship with the nation of Israel, and that will end up bringing them to the table because they will realize they are being bypassed. So if you know how to read between the lines uh-huh. of what's there, you go, this is revolutionary. Now, yep. since, you know, obviously, uh, unless people had a chance to, to hear the conference, they wouldn't know that, as, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's very important for me to point out Jared Kushner and Donald Trump, neither one of them are the Antichrist, because that's, <laughs> that's what people are starting to say. It's like, come on, get a grip. They don't have the pedigree. So what's more important, though, is to realize that I personally, after reading through this and seeing the maps and what they're proposing, I, I believe what you have here is a template that will use elements of this is what the Antichrist will do to broker a genuine peace. This is the beginnings of it, but it is just a framework. Mm. But it's going to start that ball rolling in a direction it's never rolled before because they always try to do land for peace and then. This is like... We're going to take care of the end then, and then we'll get to the peace. They've done it in total reverse order, and it's never been attempted before. Well, when you have liberal media outlets like the New York Times and others, they're liberal? Even, even having to say, <laughs> yeah, it's historic <laughs> what Trump did. They don't give him a lot of credit on very many things at all, but they did say it's historic or groundbreaking, and that's about all. But Elijah, well, your thoughts? Yeah, I just want to add to this. Um, just this past week, that something happened that never happened in Middle East at all, ever, um, and especially with the Arab nations. And that is, they have been, uh, the Arab nations, they have what they call Arab League, just like United Nations, the, the Arabs have their own League of Nations, or they call it Arab League. Um, and the presidency of that league and it got, rotates every year. This year is the Palestinian Authority, the president, Mahmoud Abbas or whatever. So what they're trying to do is to uh, they convened an emergency uh, meeting uh, to condemn this peace process and not to go along with it. But guess what happened? The Arab says, no, we're not going to do it. That never happened. This is huge for the Arabs to tell the Palestinians, no, your cause is created basically, uh, underlining what they tried to communicate, your cause have created nothing but mayhem you have not come to the table over and over and over again, including, you know, what Clinton back in 1998, 99, he gave everything yeah. that, um, uh, what was the guy's name? Oh, my brain just went blank. The PLO leader. Yes, uh, Yasser Arafat. Arafat. He gave him everything he requested, but Yasser Arafat walked away. He yep. did not want it. So they were really not interested in peace. So now you see some uh, new leadership in the Arab world. They, they say, you know what? We're not going to go there. Um, and up until then, the dictators of the Arab world used the Palestinian-Israeli issue to divert their population hostility towards Israel rather than to themselves as dictators and all the mayhem they are doing to them. Wow. So this is new development, and yeah. it's really interesting development that uh, really gets your um, prophetic ears and eyes on the alert, like, okay, 
uh, we're watching, we're listening. If you're aware of this at all, right. as far as Bible prophecy in right. Israel, right. Chris? Yeah, with these guys, like you had mentioned, whether it was Arafat or if it's now it's Mahmoud Abbas, Mahmoud Abbas yeah. doesn't matter which one of those guys it is, they've always been resistant to this because if they ever saw a solution to it, then they have no reason to exist. Right. <laughs> it's like the people who have been pushing race like Sharpton and Jackson. No yep. matter what strides are ever made, it's never going to be enough or else you're irrelevant. Yep. And they don't want to be irrelevant. Right. So what's you, you could have said it, Elijah, David, you would know it. Any of us know it. We would know who the likely suspects before it was ever even proposed, who's going to hate it and who's going to love it. We right. already knew who those people were. Right. So they're just they're just operating just on autopilot. Of course, they're going to oppose the whole thing because it will make them irrelevant and they know it. Interesting. So I think we've got about six minutes left, and we have to talk about this major election coming up. Oh, there's Uh, one of those coming up? Yeah, in November. Thank you. Um, One of the things I mentioned that we were going to talk about, critical race theory. Racism is just—racism might improve in America. But like what you just said, those who are always claiming there's racism under a rock where it doesn't exist, they're looking for it really hard and to try to twist facts to make sure they uh, frame someone as a racist. It's just not systemic like they think it is. But this is being taught in our universities, Mm -hmm. critical race theory. Uh, President Trump just came and took federal funding away from teaching the government employees on race. Would you share your thoughts on this, on how— the Biden administration would be completely polar opposite than the Trump administration when it comes to dealing with Black Lives Matter, racial issues, and on down the road. You know, let's take a, a couple of the terms that we're hearing because they're just they're now introduced into just the common you know discussion during the day. Um, systemic racism. We talked about this off air. Uh, I looked up the numbers on it, and the FBI says that there are over 700,000 people in the United States that would be considered law enforcement, like they have arresting power, they have badges, they have guns, they can do all that. 700,000. So if you have 700,000 people and you have systemic racism, and they're saying that, that the systemic racism within law enforcement is killing our people— and you got 700,000 people that are in that place. If it was systemic, the, the bodies would be littering the streets yes. if it was systemic. So I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm so tired of seeding the debate to people throwing out rhetorical things like this that have no possible way yep. of being proven statistically. So the people who are saying that there's systemic racism and it's leading to the deaths of people— as much as I disagreed with so much of what George Bush did, he used a really terrific term, and it was the soft bigotry of low expectations. And and he was talking about race-type things. If people were genuinely concerned about the the well-being of uh, of minorities, black in particular, they would be in the streets of Chicago wondering why they're killing one another all the time. And inner-city places where that is just, it is, you want to talk about pandemic? There you have it. It's everywhere that you look in the cities of of this country that young black men are killing other young black men. Statistically, it it can't even be disputed. So if people want to argue that, they're going to argue it ideologically but not statistically. Until we can get past that, we're going to have all those same kinds of arguments about critical race theory and that – We've got to overturn the United States because it was founded on racial, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And I know that Elijah has something to say. Let me just make sure that people understand this. 
people will want to talk, talk about the founding of this country and that it was that it was racist from its beginnings. It is the only country that was on the earth at the time that had a form of government that could right that wrong. Mm. So our Constitution made it that you could get that out of your country, but you couldn't do it in a monarchy. You couldn't do it in any other form of government other than yes. a constitutional republic. You could fight it at the governmental level, and that's exactly how it went down. But we never give credit. Instead, what they want to do is go back to a communist or socialist kind of a view. They'd be fine with that type of thing mm. because it's authoritarian. Mm. And governments like that, and that kind of, whether it be socialist, communist, or dictatorship, um, they are the ultimate government of racism because they do go after minorities and eliminate them. Uh, you've seen the genocides in Soviet Union against the Jews, against Christians, against anybody, minorities, different ethnicities. Uh, nobody talks about that. Mm. Mao, look what he did. Uh, now, in current-day China, where they are enslaving hundreds of thousands, if not some millions of Muslims, Uyghur and the Wei people. Uh, these are ethnic yeah. Muslim Chinese, and they have concentration camps. Now the United States and the State Department are now, I think they will, because Trump is really uh, ratcheting it up with, the ch with China, that to call this genocide on China today. So when you have the left and BLM and all of these guys, they want that kind of government and they're under the auspices of racism, they don't even know what racism is. And also, even the black community, and I refuse to call them African-Americans because they were not born in Africa. Yes. Unless you are born in Africa, then I could call you Afro-American because now you are a citizen of the United Dual States. Dual citizenship or something. But unless you are born there, you're mm. black American. God created you black. You're a beautiful human being. God created you in God's image and likeness. Just like you white guys, and I'm an olive guy, so that's okay. I'm going to create the, uh, what do you call it? What did you call it? Olive. Olive li lives matter. Olive yeah. lives matter. Yeah. Uh, not <laughs> OLM. But anyway, so it, it's those things that, you know, if we look at this ra racism, and I always challenge my um, black friends, I say, wait a minute. Who's, because they keep saying the white man sold uh, our ancestors uh, to the slave ships. I said, wait a minute. No, 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 no. The Muslims sold your ancestors to the white man, and the white man brought you here. So, uh, and here we are. You got uh, Fulus Farrakhan and everybody else, you know, all for, the, for Islam. But they, they kind of give Muslims and uh, Islam a pass. I grew up in the Middle East, and whenever and Muslim look at a black person, guess what they call them? They don't call them black person. They call them, oh, look at that. He's a slave. To modern day 20th, wow. 20th century. My dad, we brought him to America. And the first time we, w we took him out to eat. And the, the, uh, the waitress, she was bl uh, black. And he looked at me and he said it in Arabic. Oh, look, slave. I said, what? It's because slave and black all in one. Wow. So the mindset, it... It really breaks my heart to see even some evangelicals bowing down to social justice yep. and the BLM. Come on, people. Okay, I need to stop preaching. Yeah, we didn't have a chance to talk about the NFL and the social justice oh, yeah, in our prof that too. professional sports I love football. Leagues. They ruined football. I'm not yeah. watching football they this season. They ruined almost all sports. All right, guys, 30 seconds each. Your speculation on what might happen with the two different ways we could go with the election in November. Chris? 
barring something that is completely unforeseen, the momentum seems to be going in Trump's direction. And I think the more that people get a chance to watch Biden and the more that he is visible, especially <laughs> after. Exactly. Uh, once the debates are there, I think anybody with a with a, a, a mind, a brain is going to just say, we've got to try to get things back on track and it will not happen under a Biden administration. It is impossible considering his worldview. It's a frightening prospect. I don't think it is either. I'm just wondering how many people are already convinced based on the media talking points. Elijah? The, the concern I have about what's happening, the, the Democrats know that they have a weak, uh, an empty suit in Biden. Uh, they know they're going to lose, but they already preparing the population that he will not concede at all costs because Hillary says, don't you ever do that. Because oh, the mail-in ballots, right? Right, and, the mail, and that was going to delay the, uh, the final who won the mail-in ballots. But also, they already promised violence will continue in the streets. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is not wow. going to end. Antifa and BLM will continue. So it's like a two-year-old having ten to tantrum. Unless they have their way, we're not going to do it. So that's really concern for me, um, and I pray for the president. I, I pray that God will uh, use him uh, in, a, in a way that he will continue to expose these people and for the church to wake up, and yep. this is really why we're here. And Christians must vote. Please, biblical Please values. Do. Elijah Abraham, Chris Quintana, thank you guys so much thank for you, being brother. in studio. It's been fun. So good. We'll probably do this, God willing, in a year from now. And We'll talk about what's, what's been happening. Uh, but thanks again. All right, guys, when we come back, we'll let you know our guests the rest of the week. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, guys, thanks so much for staying with us. We appreciate your shares on social media. We are shadow banned on Facebook, so that helps us. Get the podcast out there to at least a few more people. Tomorrow, uh, Michigan author Eric Jackson, he wrote a book called Feral Christian. Interesting take and perspective. We'll talk to him. And then on Friday, Voice of the Martyrs, talk about Christians being persecuted and what's really happening overseas and uh, other places that Todd wants to bring up. Todd Nettleton, he also has a radio show, VOM Radio. So that'll be on Friday. Thanks again. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.